your seats. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 149, Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song. His praises in the assembly of the godly. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy in their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the people to bind their kings and, and with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute on them judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones, praise the Lord. I don't think we understand nearly enough what our worship means and how significant it is. And it was good to uh, lift our voices this morning. And uh, if, you, if you sit near the back, and it's okay if you sit near the back. God still loves you if you sit near the back. But if you want to hear great singing, you come and sit near the front. And uh, just listen to the choir as it just, uh, oh, every week, every week it just comes over us and uh, we rejoice in that. Hey, get your Bibles out this morning. Let's open them up to Titus uh, chapter 3, a uh, little letter that uh, uh, Paul wrote uh, to Titus in Titus chapter 3. And um, we're going to look at a message entitled Thinking Clearly in a Foggy World. But before we do that, just a, a special uh, happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room. Um, I trust that uh, God is uh, working in your life and continuing to grow up. This message is not specifically for fathers, although the things that we're going to talk about have an application for fathers today. Um, but a special, um, a special thank you for those of you, you're sticking with it, you're being faithful, you're dealing with things in your life, you're, you, you know better than anybody how imperfect you are, you understand in our world how the whole picture of fatherhood is just being pushed down and destroyed, and hey, stay faithful, stay faithful to what God's word calls us to, that we'd be men who lead in our families, lead in our families well, and, and God would continue to sanctify us, we're not perfect, but in Jesus Christ we're being perfected every day, and uh, and trust the Lord. Lead your family in practical things. Lead your family in prayer. Lead your family to the Word of God, and just allow God to continue to work. Um, I'm so blessed to come out of a Christian family, and I'm so blessed. You know the story of our family. God's given us kids who love the Lord. I, I had the privilege on um, Friday evening to pray over my 15-year-old grandson, Malachi, who's going to New Brunswick to serve in a Christian camp this summer. And uh, what an awesome, I'm glad I'm not taking him to drop him off there. I'd be a total mess, right? So that's his mom and dad's job to do that. But to pray over him and thank God for what he's been doing in his life and continuing to like, God, God's just working and we need to rejoice in those things. And that may not be your story. Your story might not look like that. And, uh, but you as a dad get to be the beginning of a story like that. And so be faithful to what God's called you to and he will work for his fame and for his glory. So, all right. Um, happy Father's Day. Thinking clearly in a foggy world. The world around us is a mess. The world around us has always been a mess. The world without Jesus Christ has no hope. It's going down pathways that don't lead to good things. But I was just thinking about some things this week about we, we could use the fog, the word the fog. We talk about the fog of war all the things that are going on around the world in wars, and what does that all mean? They talk about the fog of war. There's the fog of politics um, all over our nation, and, you know, democracy was uh, once called the best, wor the, the worst, best system, 
right? It's just like it is a system, but it's not God's system. And, uh, and so we have the fog of what happens in politics, and uh, there's the fog of the economy. Uh, some of you are wondering, you know, what happens when your mortgage comes up for renewal in the next six months or eight months, and what will happen, and the fog of the economy, and the price of food, and the price of gas, and then we look around us, and we see the fog of moral decay in our world. Um, you know, we were talking the other day, just it's been all over the news, like, can somebody define what a woman is? And nobody, nobody can do it, right? Well, everybody can, they're just afraid to, and uh, the fog of moral decay, the fog of violence, the fog of political unrest, the fog of the social norms, the fog of violence. We used to think about murders and all that. It used to happen somewhere else. We, we'd hear, it happened in Chicago. It happened in Detroit. It happened in New York. It happened in Jane Finch. But, but now it's like in our backyard. And, and we, see the, we see the fog of violence and all that it means. And How do we as followers of Jesus Christ think clearly in that? We're not going to solve those things. Those are the consequences of sin in our world, and we're going to live in those things until the Lord comes back. But, but how do we live in those things? And I believe in a Titus chapter 3, a Titus um, is given some things from Paul that can be very helpful for us. So let's stand together. Let's honor God as we read his word, and I'm going to be in Titus chapter 3 starting in verse 1. Paul, after he's gone through a whole list of things, and then he starts in chapter 3, he says, remind them. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, and to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice, envy, hatred by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that by being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want, I want you to insist on these things, that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who steers up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and he is self-condemned. Lord, um, this is your word that we hold in our hands. This was the challenge that you put out from Paul to Titus as he was uh, going from church to church in Crete, uh, establishing elders, and then giving him this charge, giving them this charge of how they live out in their world, what, what their lives should look like. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom today to hear clearly from your word. You'd give us minds to be able to comprehend it, and then, Lord, would you give us faith, faith to live out a little bit more every day for the fame and the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, you can take your seats. Well, what are the qualities of a clear thinker? And then and where do they come from and what does that look like? I, I, I can't give you the answers of what you think in every specific situation that's in our world today. 
but I can give you some things from God's word that can help you. These are the things. Get your eyes on these things. Like there's the practical things like turn off the news. You don't need to keep listening to it over and over and over and over again. We need to be informed. We need to be what's, what's going on. The Bible talks about they knew their times. They knew their times. We need to know our times, but then we need to live faithfully in our times. And that's what I want us to really focus towards today. What does that look like for us? And so right in the text in verses 1 and 2, qualities of a clear thinker, here's, here's three. Uh, right in the first verses, it says, remind them, and he gives us three things. Be submissive to rulers and authorities. Uh, Be submissive to the rulers and authorities. We are told that we are to submit to the rulers and authorities, not just inside the church, but outside of the church as well. And as long as they're not asking us or telling us to do something that contravenes God's law, God's word, that we need to support it. We need to be a part of it. We need to encourage it. There comes a place where we have to say, we're not going to do that anymore because I have to compromise what God told me to do, and I can't do that. But you know what? In Canada, we like to nag and complain about things. Now, we're quieter than our American friends. They're just, like, really out there about this. We're more um, gossipy about it about, oh, the government, oh, the, oh, the, oh, the. You know what you're told to do? You're told to obey them. Unless they're telling you to do something that's against God's word. You know what else you're told to do? You're told to pray for them. I find myself, it's so easy to criticize. It's so easy to look down and not understand what people are going through. And, start, and, and here's a little secret. Why would you expect ungodly people to make godly decisions? You need to pray for them. And we're told to be submissive to them. And so the next time you're tempted to criticize a government uh, authority or a government, and you know what, you may have to keep me accountable to this because it's so easy. And with memes and everything today, it's so easy. And yet that's not what God's called us to do as his people. He's told us to be submissive. Some of you are getting a little ticked off at me right now. You're like, what do you mean? That's what God's word says. And that's what we're called to be. And so be submissive. Be submissive to authorities outside the church, magistrates, government officials, police, um, and those who are inside the church as well. Submit to them by prayer. Submit to them by prayer. I don't don't pray for them them like I should, and uh, I need to do more of that. Uh, Just yesterday, I found myself caught up in conversations. It was just like so easy to criticize. And uh, and yet that's that's not what Paul is telling Titus to do. Uh, these, these weren't godly people he was saying this about. And so you want to think clearly in a foggy world? You'll have a different perspective of people when you pray for them. Um, if you're ticked off at somebody in the church, not that this would ever happen in our church, but, you know, all the other churches in the world, um, you start praying for that person. You watch how God changes your heart in that. Because then all of a sudden, as you come before the Lord, you're coming before the Lord with a whole different attitude, a whole different heart. And uh, he says, be submissive. Next thing he says, right in the verse, it's clear. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure it out. He says, uh, be submissive to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. Uh, Be obedient. Um, I talk about this in the text. Be submissive. Be active. Have an active obedience in your life, whether that's the family or authorities or the church. It, it needs to be a thing that we commit ourselves to do. We have to be obedient. Uh, do what you know God's word says. Um, be obedient. And uh, you were reading your word. I hope you're reading the word sometime this week. And you read something and it was convicting to you. And, 
and then you went away and you kind of forgot about it. And what, what has God made clear to you from his word? Or it might be through the preaching of his word, so when he brought the verse to you, but, and you're like, I need to do that. And you're not. Like, why not? Just, like, be obedient. The thing God's put on your heart, the thing God's put before you, just be obedient to him in, in what he calls you to and the things he's calling you to. And the last thing he says in that verse is to, um, to be ready or be prepared. We need to be people of God who are prepared. I love the verse that says, um, be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Here he talks about being ready for every good work every opportunity that comes before us. Be, be ready to step out and in the name of Jesus Christ. Give someone a cup of cold water. Help them along the way. Uh, see what the need is and step in and see that. Let them see the love of Jesus Christ in you so that in your conversations, they're like, why are you like that? What, what is it about you that makes you different? And you'll be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is in you. Clear thinking re- requires us to be submissive, to be obedient and to be prepared. In Galatians 6, 9, it says, and let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. 1 Peter 2, 12 says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So coming out of the text, I've kind of picked three areas for us to look at today. And the first one is uh, clear thinking and what you were. If you want to have clear thinking about where you're going, you have to understand where you've come from. So look at verse 3. He says, for we ourselves, this is what we once were. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves um, to various passions and pleasures, uh, passing our days in malice, in envy, in hatred by others, and hating one another the way we were. I loved that testimony that we heard in the baptism this morning, and the honesty of it, and the sincerity of it, and the, this is the way I was, and even like cursing God and turning against him. That, that is what the world looks like, and hey, that story that we heard and the transformation of that story is an awesome work of the Lord Jesus Christ in someone's life. And that's what God's done in your life if you've trusted Jesus Christ. You want, to have, you want to have clear thinking. Remember what you used to be. Remember last week, if you were here and were listening, um, I'll assume both of those were true, you were here and you were listening, I talked about looking back and remembering the things that God has done and the way God has worked. And the, See, sometimes we look back and then we just mope and complain because life is hard. No, you look back and you see what God has done. Look back and remember what you were in Christ and what Christ has done for you and how you've trusted Jesus Christ. You've come from darkness to light because that's what you once were. He gives a list of the things. I'm not going to get into the lists, but it's, it's what the world looks like. It's what the world, it's why the world acts like it does. It's because who you were and what people are without Jesus Christ. You were once foolish. Sometimes we still act foolishly and we need to confess our sin. You were disobedient. You, you hated God. You had no desire for him. You were led astray. You were slaves to the passions, and we heard about that in that testimony as well, and the pleasures, and you're passing your days in malice and envy and hated by others and hating one another. Um, that's how you used to be. That's what you looked like before you were saved. 
In James 4, 1, it said, what causes quarrels and what causes fighting among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? And even as followers of Jesus Christ, we get caught up in those things sometimes and we have to guard our hearts and asking God to lead us and direct us and, and go before us. We were once like that. But God transformed you. God brought you in from darkness into his glorious light in Jesus Christ. Those things are not to be our life anymore. And we are being sanctified, and we're going to come back to this in a second. We're going to be sanctified those and growing in those, but those things are not the way people should see us. That's not the way people should talk about us. We should be people who are filled with gratitude for how God changed us. We should be filled with humility as we see what his work has done in changing us. We should be filled with humility as we think about all that we have in Jesus Christ and what we look forward to. We should be filled with kindness because of his kindness that was poured out on us so undeserved outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet he gave his son, Jesus Christ, for us. And the kindness that God demonstrated for us ought to be the way we live are coming back to that again in the text, and we should be people who are finding who are filled with faith, filled with faith, that God not only can, can um, take you from death to life in your salvation, but in the circumstances you find yourself in, the sin you find yourself caught up in, by faith, God can take you. He can transform that. He can use it for his glory. But outside of that, God can work in your spouse's life. God can work in your unsaved neighbor's life or your unsaved co-worker's life and we need to be agents of light, shining the light of Jesus Christ on them. Um, filled with faith. Filled with faith. Because we know what we were, but we also need to look and see what we are. See, what you were is not your identification anymore. You were a sinner separated from God. You did not have hope. There was nothing about you that made you pleasurable to God in the way you were living, in the way that you were acting. But he poured his love out on you. And so we need to stop and remember who we are in Jesus Christ. And we find it in verses four to seven. Remember what you are. The first thing we need to see though in that is God's character. We need to see God's character, see it in this text. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, you need to understand, there's a whole 12-week series in those verses right there. There is so much that's packed into those verses. And so I'm just going to really quickly go over them, give you kind of the, maybe the highlights out of them. But the first thing you need to see is God's character. Two of them are listed in the text, God's goodness and God's kindness. It's neat because he takes those and he, he applies those back to us. But we need to remember God's character in so many ways, beyond those two things. I, I talked before about seeing God in his creation, seeing God in his son, seeing God in the word, seeing God in his attributes, seeing God in his holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. 
right? Why do you sing a thousand hallelujahs to the Lord? Because God is awesome. And you're stopping and you're seeing it and you're rejoicing it and you're making the decisions in your life out of the basis of how awesome God's work is and how amazing his salvation is. And I want more of that in my, I want more of that in my life. Less whining and complaining, more God. You are awesome. You are awesome. You're awesome in your holiness. You're awesome in your omnipresence. You hear the cry of my quiet heart. You hear the cry of my neighbor who just, neighbor, someone who just lost a loved one. You, you are there. You are omnipotent. Your power is there. You can do anything that can be done. You are a God of mercy. You're a God of truth. You're a God who is filled with grace. So he says in the text, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He only really, Paul only talks about two attributes of God here. In the midst of all of the things he could talk about, he talks about these two. He talks about goodness. Uh, three times good works are mentioned in the text because it comes from the heart of God. It comes from who God is. And when God calls us to be people filled with good works, we'll come back to it in another second, it's, it's because that's who God is. That's who he is in his nature, to do good works. Think of the good works of God in your life. Think about his provision. Think about his direction. He's a God of goodness. He's a God of loving kindness, showing compassion on us, even when we don't deserve it. That's what our God, our Savior, is like. When our Savior appeared in God's goodness, in God's loving kindness, um, that's the God Paul's talking about. That's the one who we are, are considering. That's the one who is the foundation for what you are. If you get that wrong, you get all the rest of it wrong. Right, because then you start bringing yourself in at wrong levels. You start making it more about you, and you go, no, no, get back to the foundation that God is awesome. God's working is awesome. God's attributes are awesome. God's salvation is awesome, and then you'll start to figure out how we then live our lives out in a foggy world, because we're not confused about what's first and what's more important. I got my eyes fixed on Him. So often we get our eyes fixed on other things, an, another person or another circumstance, and we don't allow God to be working in us like He should be working in us. God's character. Here's the next thing we see God's work. God's work. Look right down in verse 5. He says, um, He saved us. He saved us. Um, people don't like that word today. Um, but the working of God in salvation is all over Scripture. By grace, you've been saved. It's not the doing of yourselves. It's a work of God. He saved us. He saved us from sin. He saved us from the sin we are born with. He is saved with the sin that we find ourselves living in. He saved us from, he saved us. You were drowning. You were going down for the third time. You weren't coming up again. And he saved you. He saved you. The next verse, the next words say, not by our righteousness. See, this is the part that people don't like. They don't like the idea. They like the idea of God saving us. 
There's nobody who's like, nah, I don't want God to save me. Everybody wants to be saved. But it says, not by our righteousness. Not by our righteousness. See, we all think, no, no, we can solve the problem. Sue comes and starts to talk to me, and I'm thinking about what the solution is to the problem, right? And uh, she doesn't want me to solve the problem. I'm still, 43 years, you'd think I would have learned that by now. Sometimes she just wants me to listen. Um, men, sometimes you're just supposed to listen. That's just a little, it's not really in the message. It's just a little sidebar on Father's Day. And just, sometimes you're just supposed to listen. Not by our righteousness. And so I'm out there trying to fix it, trying to figure out what we should do, trying to figure out how I can. The problem is what you are being saved from, you can't fix. You don't have the capacity. You don't have the ability. Sin separated you from God, and the requirement for sin was a perfect sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice you can never be. So no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work at it, you will always, always, 100%, you will always fail. So he saved us, not by our righteousness. Isaiah 64, 6 and 7 says, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name. No one rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hands of our iniquities. There is nothing you can do to solve the sin problem in your life, all of the righteous deeds you can try and accomplish cannot satisfy what God requires as the payment. Only Jesus Christ could accomplish that. And only Jesus Christ did accomplish that. The shedding of, of, of the blood of bulls and goats was a picture towards what Jesus was eventually going to do. And Jesus Christ was the only perfect blood-bought lamb that was slain for your sin, for my sin. You were saved. Not by your righteousness. Not by your good works. Not by your deeds. The verse goes on to say, but by his mercy. By his mercy. The washing of regeneration God calling us, God regenerating us, God even putting faith in us. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift that comes from God. It's the working of God that he did. Be careful if you think your salvation was a journey you went on to find God. No one seeks after God, the Bible says. So as far as I know, no one would include me, and no one certainly includes you as well. No one does. But God Salvation is always about, but God. I, I tried to work harder, but God. I thought I was going after God, but God. I was trying to do good, but God. But God, who is in rich and in mercy, he poured out his grace. He lavished it on us. And he justifies us. By his mercy, we're saved. And then we come to being justified. You know, I talked a lot over the years around here about uh, the Romans Road, and uh, quickly I want to just kind of take you back to it because it's a great way to explain the gospel to somebody who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are lots of verses you can use, but um, Romans 3.10 says, For it's written, there is no one, there is no one who is righteous, 
not even one. In, verse three, in chapter 3, verse 20, for by works of the law, no human will be justified in God's sight since uh, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. In Romans 5 and, and in verse 8, it says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And over in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, a, a message that we heard just a couple of weeks ago, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Like that's the working of God. That's the working of God. That's what he has done for us. And he did it by his mercy. You didn't deserve it. You don't earn it. God gives it to us. And then we are justified by grace through faith. The whole topic of justification is just a huge, beautiful picture of what God does. The thought that God took this sinful mess, and as he looks at me, he sees me just as if I'd never sinned. Have I sinned? Of course I've sinned. Do I sin? Of course I sin. Does God see me like that? God sees me through the work of Jesus Christ, through the washing and regeneration of the blood of Christ. He sees me as without sin. Without sin. Well, is God just playing games? No, no. Because Jesus Christ satisfied the wrath of God, all of my sin was put on Jesus Christ, and all of his righteousness is put on me. My sin on Christ. Christ's righteousness imputed, put on to me. That's an awesome hope. See, if my hope only goes as far as well as I do in living my life in Jesus Christ, I'm a hopeless mess. But if my hope is found in what Jesus Christ has done and what he has accomplished and God sees me through what Christ has done, I have amazing hope. I have amazing courage to move forward so that we will trust the Lord in what we do. We are justified, made just as if we'd never, never sinned. What an amazing story. You know, the great difference between Catholicism and Protestantism is this whole idea, being justified by faith. That's, that's, that's what happens when you trust Christ. And you're not out there trying to perform so you'll be good enough to get to heaven. And Jesus Christ has accomplished everything that's required. Clear thinking. Clear thinking brings us to a great hope. Look, at, uh, look back in Titus chapter 3 at uh, verse 7. It says this. It says, um, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's what's coming for us. That's what's coming for all who are followers of Jesus Christ. We have this great hope. Well, if we, we understand what we, are, we, we were and, and we understand uh, what you are in Christ, then we, in clear thinking, we need to understand what you do. What do we do as a result? He goes on in verses 8 to 11. He says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you, excuse me, I want to insist on it. Uh, these things that those who, ha- who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works, things that are excellent and profitable. Remember the characteristic of God about being good? Now we're being called to good works, that we'd be called to good works. Um, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. Um, as for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with them, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful 
that he is self-condemned. Let me just give you a, a couple of things that he says in this text that we are to do. If we are thinking clearly, um, the first thing we're to do is devote ourselves to good works. Good works. You see, once you are in Christ, then that becomes the passion of your heart. Because you're not worrying anymore. You're not striving to get to God. That's been taken care of in Jesus Christ. But when the weight of that is on you and you understand what God has done, the natural thing, the, 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 the spiritual response is to, to do good works. To do what God's called you to. What does that look like? Well, there's all kinds of ways you do, do good works. That's the cup of cold water for some. That's buy somebody a meal. That's go cut somebody's lawn. That's, there's all kinds of things. There's things in the church. It's like serving and getting involved. And, and there's like coming alongside your neighbor when they see they're hurting and just meet that need for them and help them and be filled with good works. Sue and I were up in Muskoka yesterday and, and the church, our church, the G, GCC church in, in Muskoka had a, they called it a tail tailgate um, yard sale, as it were. I was telling the guys, we could never do that here because nobody in the church owns a truck to have a tailgate. We'd have to have like a van back door thing or whatever. But um, and what, you know what they were doing? It wasn't a garage sale. Nothing was for sale. It was all there just to have. And people brought their stuff. Not junk. There was no, I didn't see any junk. Now, some of it I wouldn't choose. But people brought their stuff and they were just giving it away. And the community came. It was the first time they've ever done it. And they'll do it again. Believe me, they'll do it again. And they were seeking to reach out into their community. They were seeking to do good works. It was just cool to see, trying to figure out how do we have an impact in our community? What does that look like for us? What could that look like for us in our church? It'll be a little different here than it is there. But, but how do we do those things? How are we people of God who are, are doing good works Good works, not works that'll get us saved. You're saved in Jesus Christ. That's taken care of. But because of what Christ has done, what are we doing as followers of Christ? So the people look at us and go, that's unusual. That's not what people just generally do. God would help us to do that. And the world can do a lot of those things as well. But we need to be people who are leading the way in those things. Um, It's not an optional thing for us. It's a thing we do because we're sold out for Jesus Christ, because we're so overwhelmed in his goodness and his faithfulness. It's like, oh, I'm going to keep on going. I'm not going to give up. It's hard, but I'm not going to give up. Keep on going. Keep on going. Do good works. You're devoted to good works. You're committed to good works. It's part of the, the, the story of your life. I'm committed to good works. I'm committed to do good works. I'm committed to it because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done for the glory of God. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Uh, look down in uh, verse 9. He says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. Stick on the topic. Keep the main things, the main things. And God helping us to do that. It's so easy to get emotionally charged about things that really don't matter. In a foggy, foggy world, Help me. Help me, Lord. Keep my eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. In a foggy, foggy world, God, help us as the elders to keep our church focused on the things that matter, the things that God calls us to. In this church as leaders, small group leaders, ministry leaders, directors, keep our eyes fixed on the things that matter. We've just come through a a whole pandemic, and I'm so thankful for this church and how we 
struggled with some things, we worked through some things that didn't become a divisive thing in our church. We all had our wacky opinions, we were all experts on everything, but we learned how to love each other in it. Keep the main things, the main things. When I was talking with Kai Ballantyne in Muskoka yesterday, he said, um, he was talking with another pastor who I know very well, and they were talking about people who left his church, where Kai is, because they didn't like the way they're handling the pandemic, and went to this guy's church. And this guy's going, yeah, people left our church because they didn't like the way we were handling the pandemic, and they went to your church. And, and the churches were doing the same thing, right? People who lost sight of what's important. You're like, no, it was all important. No, no, the gospel of Jesus Christ is important. Figuring out things that everybody's confused about, it's not the first priority. In the midst of it, when we disagree, to love each other and to care for each other and to pray for each other. Keep the main things the main things. Who is Jesus Christ? Who are you in light of, in fact, of who he is? Keep your eye on the ball. And then here's the last thing. You're going to have to deal with troubles. You're going to have to deal with troubles. Now, it uses an illustration in the text of a, of a pretty negative situation. Um, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, Paul's paraphrase, don't waste your time on that anymore. Have nothing to do with him. It's not going to be helpful. Knowing when such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. And we are called to deal with things that are difficult and hard sometimes, and we have to deal with troubles and and we become afraid I'm, I might lose a friend or somebody might judge me and say, well, who do you think you are? Um, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with them. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. You know, when I thought about this, and there's so many different applications you could take, it's like the person who says, who are you to tell me? It's a great question, because the answer to the question is, I'm nobody. I am nobody to tell you that. So if I'm telling you to do something that's outside of God's word, then you just disregard it. It's just my opinion. But that's different than speaking the truth to somebody in love. When you bring the truth of God's word, so that it brings them to a place of understanding, a place of conviction, a place of a seeing that maybe they were blind about something, and they can't be blind about that anymore. Um, God, help us with those people. The person who says, are you judging me? Nope, that's not my job. I'm not the judge. The judge is the one who gave us the book. And I'm going to share with you what the book says, and you let that be in your life. So, so your opinion, you're right. Your opinion really not worth much at all, unless your opinion, which it isn't, is God's word. So we want to be people of God who think clearly in a struggling, foggy world, we do have to deal with, with struggles. They, they will come. He says to warn them. It's, the word warning is a reasoned and definitive way. It's, it's, you've thought about it. You've prepared for it. You've, you're communicating God's word in it so that people can hear it, and then they can respond to it. Romans 16, 17, and 18 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary there it is, contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them, for such a person is not 
um, is not serving our Lord Jesus, but their own appetite. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And so help us to be a faithful people of God who speak the truth to one another so we can help one another. You've heard this before in this church. It's not loving to not tell the truth. It might make you feel good for a while because you didn't have to face the crisis. But it's not loving to not tell the truth. But it's also not right to speak the truth in an unloving way. And God help us to do that with one another, whether that's Sue and I in our relationship, whether that's the elders speaking to one another, whether that's key leaders working things out, that we'd be people of God who deal with the hard things, but deal with it in the truth, always saturated with the love of Jesus Christ. The world doesn't do that. The world's not doing that. If we want to think clearly in a foggy world, well, here's the so what. So what? Remember what you were. You were lost. You were without hope. And you are now a child of God. Um, And so what do you do? Devote yourself to good works. Staying on topic, keeping the main things, the main things, and then speaking to one another in ways that honor the Lord Jesus Christ for his glory. Be submissive, be active, obedient, and be prepared. Be ready. Be ready to give an answer for every man that asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you in Jesus Christ. God, help us to think clearly in a foggy world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that is in it. Thank you for this message that you gave um, to Paul first and that he gave to Titus. This, this man was going around to the churches in Crete, putting elders in place in all of the churches. And he, you gave them some, him some instruction uh, through Paul as to what to tell the church. And, and he told the church. And, and now we are telling the church, would we be people of God who live out so that the fame of Jesus Christ, so that the glory of his name is lifted up in all we do, all we say. We pray in Christ's name.